Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining this uh, ODI lunchtime lecture today. I am delighted to be uh, introducing this last uh, lecture of the season. This this is our last lecture before we go on a hiatus for the summer and reconvene in the autumn. And today I am very happy to introduce um, our speaker, Sharon Joseph, of uh, the CEO of a um, data science consultancy, uh, Croesus. I hope I pronounced it properly, uh, who's uh, been working for a couple of decades uh, with Fortune 500 uh, businesses to really help them basically create value from the use of data. Sharon, without further ado, uh, we'll, uh, we'll start with you. Everyone, please make sure that you, that you remain muted during uh, Sharon's uh, talk. Uh, please ask any question you have uh, on, um, on the chat and we will have a conversation after Sharon's talk, which begins now, Sharon. Thank you, Alexei. Appreciate that intro. So hello, my name is Sharon Joseph. I'm the CEO and founder of Cruasis. So we're an outsourced data science consultancy located in New York. I'm originally from Canada and um, our team is a team of data scientists. We're actually a global team. And what we do is we look for growth opportunities within businesses and we try to find um, new business ideas through data. And how do we do that? We use machine learning, we use artificial intelligence, and we use advanced analytics. And today, my hope is that you walk away uh, learning more about data and the tools that we use, but also what's going on in Fortune 500 and how you can use your own data to find untapped um, growth ideas. So um, the talk is around how Fortune 500 use this data and how they can make better use of it. So I'm going to use examples from the things that I've done in my career, but also what I've done in the past couple of years with our clients. So the agenda, we're going to talk about importance of data and just data exploration and explosion of data. I mean, everyone's familiar with that topic, but I think it's good to just reinforce why it's happened the overload and silos within businesses. And in particular, I wanna talk about a model that's used actually for self-awareness, but it's called the Jahari window. And I wanna talk about blind spots. Um, digital transformation has been in all of our lives, but I pertain it to data transformation and I use it on a crawl walk uh, run continuum. And that's how we look at all our businesses. And then consumer centricity, the consumer journey and where you can find new data points. We're gonna talk through some case studies. I hope to have some questions and talk about other case studies as well. And then what's next, um, in particular, AI and marketing. So in the last year, no surprise, but we've, um, we've essentially accelerated everything that happened. And what happened in the last year, we're all aware of, but digital transformation pushed businesses far faster than anyone would have seen. So this quote from McKinsey, in the last year, com companies accelerated digitization by three to four years in a few months. So this has helped businesses get to the digital standpoint, but again, there's always problems with that. So one, the biggest problem is that data doubles every two years. So you're not sure where to filter or what to use. And just a quick fact on that as well, 90% of the data that's been created um, in the world was created in the last three years. The other thing is advanced computing power. So the expectation is that people are getting more real-time insights. You want faster answers. And then think about the whole concept of quantum computing and being able to accelerate that processing of data. And then finally, all of us lack time and resources. The more data we have, the more information we need to process. So the data explosion, I love showing this chart because it talks to kind of web 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 all from the 80s, all to where we are today. And I mean, thinking about where we started with Google and then the acceleration of technology has obviously created more of this information that's being created and all of that data that's being collected on you, as well as the information that brands need to make better decisions. And so there's not only have these companies accelerated within their own space, but they've created ecosystems around data and they're now monetizing data. And I think the future is around how do you create a currency using the data that you have? So silos, no surprise here. I worked in marketing and I worked in sales, as we mentioned, for the last 20 years in large companies like GlaxoSmithKline, Mondelez and PepsiCo, to name a few. And the concept was you worked in a specific function and that function is where you used your information and your data. Now, more than ever, you really need to use multiple pieces and aggregate information. And that's one of the best practices I say is that you really have to cross 
your functions to be able to look at information, mine it, and come up with even richer insights. And if you think of competitiveness, the one big thing is if you're only looking at your information, you're never going to be able to get to an advanced analytics standpoint. You really need to take multiple pieces of information. And that's where you start running things like correlations and regressions. As a typical marketer, having spent a lot of time, it's not like I would spend this time doing it in Excel. I wouldn't even have thought of this when I started my career about 20 years ago. And then as I started mining data even further, I knew that if I wanted to outperform across brands like Sensodyne, Flonase, Mucinex, I needed to understand the information that are in the data tables that are hidden behind a PowerPoint slide. And you really had to ask your research house to be able to get access to that data table, as well as those SPSS files. And if you can imagine, they're very, very large data files, and it's not something that a typical marketer or salesperson would ask for, but that's where you're going to start to get the rich insights and, and use those data across the silos in the business. So our brain only uses and processes so much information. And the reason I bring this up is also as someone in a function, you would think about it in a, a company that you only have so much time and headspace to process information. I like to look at this and say, okay, your eyes, skin, ears, smell, taste, how much information does it process per second? And when you think about that, it's a lot of information that you've got to, you need to be thinking of at every given point in time. So when you're thinking about the information on your business and the amount of computing power your brain has to make, you are going to have blind spots. And what does that mean? One of the things that we do as a business is say, hey, one of the things we come in to try to find are new innovative ways of looking at your information and things you wouldn't have seen before. And for companies who have been doing the same thing over and over, and we're all guilty because the Jahari window is actually a self-awareness tool. But I use this in business because I say we're usually, usually thinking about our own way of doing something. And it takes somebody else from an outside perspective to give us that new, fresh perspective. And that's what Johari window talks about. So it's around the concept of you, it's things that are known to other people, but it's not known to yourself. And when you identify that blind spot within data, you're able to come up with richer insights. So if you haven't had a chance, I would recommend um, Googling Jahari window, getting deeper in there, and then having folks in your business or within the context of your um, even personal space that can help identify these blind spots. So what kind of blind spots did we find within Fortune 500? Well, one is that there's untapped business opportunities. So when you think about merging a P&L with uh, the margins, the profitability by even by skew, and then you're looking at consumer information from ratings and reviews, and then you're thinking about, hey, a call center that has information as well, and you start to pull that information together, that's when you start to see that there's innovative ideas that could be coming out. I'll give you an example. You know, when we were starting working on a Fortune 500 business, I had a um, significant amount of issues happening on it, and I didn't know what was going on. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to look at all the information available, which was the call center information, that's call in information from consumers saying, hey, this is what I don't like in the formulation or here's what I don't like about the new product. And so it was a reformulated product. We found out that it was a certain segment that didn't like this product because it had some sort of issue with it. And in particular with this group, we were able to mine which type of person, where in the country using all this data. And this is approximately 10 years ago. So we're using web data, customer ratings and reviews online. We're talking to associations. And then we're also pulling our, our call center information together. The second thing I like to think about is just the management team, because when you think those individuals that are in a management setting, they're not necessarily thinking about digital transformation, data transformation all the time. And we know this is front and center now. So I like to think about this as who would you hire to help you identify these blind spots? What kind of data and chief data officer or data scientist do you want? And that's a whole process because data science is such a new role. You need to be able to identify the skills and capabilities, which is also what we do with our talent. And it's a very difficult to think because data scientists too don't know the strategy and don't have the experience because they haven't been in the work setting for as long as we would like them to be to be strategic thinkers. Um, challenge the way that you currently think. Again, I think I tapped into that already on the first point. And then developing decision data-driven um, evidence. So uh, I think one of the things we're all guilty of is sitting in a room saying, hey, is this the way to go? We use the information that we pull together individually and then as a team and we make a decision. And so a lot of leadership meetings that I've been in, that's where you would do it. And it's usually 
with someone making a recommendation based on a document they've written with as much evidence as possible. So even those decision-making processes at this point, you can actually put together a business model or a machine learning model to be able to say, hey, how should you make better decisions using a lot more available data? And unimaginable what we would have done you know, 20 years ago. So these are the kind of things that businesses are thinking about. And then I like to think about when we're going in to make decisions on what we're gonna do with the customer or what new insights we wanna go after. Cause you wanna be able to prioritize. Um, so then I look at across determine the current and future state. So this is something that's used in digital transformation. I call it data transformation. Um, you're going through kind of the crawl, walk, run um, a, a continuum. And so you're starting off at infancy, moving through conceptual, defined, integrated, and transformed. I like to have a really good discussion on where are you? So being super honest with yourself and where are you in that data transformation? And then where do you want to go and what do you need to do? And a lot of companies will take a look at where is it that you're starting so that we can take you to the next level. And then the data science learning matrix, um, but, and this is sourced by um, Harvard Business Review and data science. And the whole concept is where would you and what should you use? And so you really wanna think about, you know, is it useful and is, or is it not useful? Is it time, um, time consuming to acquire or not time consuming to acquire? And then uh, for us, the hot topics for everyone, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then obviously information security. So it's very useful, but it's time consuming, but we know it's super important. So this is the step that you're really gonna plan with your data science team. And a lot of times this is what everybody is playing in this sort of field right now with regard to Fortune 500. So across all the large companies right now, there's some sort of machine learning model being built. The biggest one that I talk about is all the models coming out of COVID. So all the brands that had gone through the last year and a half needed to figure out how was their brand going to be at the end of this and various models, including in particular in the U.S., depending on what states were opening up when. Um, New York City just opened approximately a couple months ago. So the consumption of products, et cetera, was going to drastically change versus a Florida or Texas that has been opened a lot longer. And then the other thing I like to think about is very useful, but not time consuming to acquire a lot of things with regard to data visualization, top tools, Power BI and Tableau. Can, you can take a simple uh, data set and transform it into something that's a lot more meaningful. So I, I try to group this for everyone so that you can think of it in, in five areas. So we talked about kind of COVID, but the crew marketer, you're taking two pieces of data. You're taking sales versus marketing data. Sales, traditional sales information, marketing research, and then you're going to run a correlation or regression. Crew regioner, you're looking at a region analysis. Again, I just gave you the example of opening up at various times across any particular region. You want to be able to model it and you want to be able to see what's going to happen. And you can use predictive time series. Um, and then you can also run um, when you're looking at temperature, for example, versus brand sales. You want to start to look at the relationships on what brand has more of a relationship to temperature. You can think of top beverage brands. They want to know, hey, is somewhere in the South going to be consuming a lot more beverages during a time of year? Um, when I was working on the Mucinex brand, we tracked the flu across the U.S. And a big thing was tracking inventory. So in order to understand where the flu season was going to impact the country the most and then where you should produce the inventory and then ship the inventory and move the inventory per um, the flu season. COVID analyzer we just talked about as an example. The consumer journey I'm going to show you on the next slide because I think it's extremely important to identify all the data points. And we go through that a lot with clients because we want to be able to talk about where on the consumer journey are you, are, do you have untapped information. And then innovation identifier, a lot of tools are being used now um, to be able to identify trends ahead of time. So nobody wants to be caught spending six months on a brand plan when trends have already changed. Look what happened in the last year. So everybody's trying to aggregate information and trend data and then put it together in a complete plan and then be able to use that on a monthly basis to determine consumer trends. So those are the top five things that I find in Fortune 500 companies that they're being asked for and that we do the most. And then when I think about what you want to do with your current research, um, one is around digging into insights. I talked about a sort of secret thing that I do, which is get the SPS file or those data tables. Whenever you're presented research, you're going to be presented an actual PowerPoint presentation. Behind all of that are the data tables, and you should be taking a look at those running correlations and regression just as your starting point, and then getting into deeper things like uh, segmentation, which is uh, could be a k-means 
or KNN, um, which are segmentation um, pieces. Brand planning, uh, uh, also driving sales. It's the biggest thing that everyone wants to do. There's always untapped opportunities within information that you're pulling together. And then the analysis and research are just going deeper into the psyche of the consumer. And you're looking at research at all parts of the consumer journey. And so I think the best way to do that is actually map out your consumer journey or anything that you're working on with your um, potential business problem. And then actually identifying each area where you're going to be able to to get data. And some of that data will be paid, but for the most part, I'd say that you can get a lot of information from Google Analytics and Google Trends. And so Google Analytics, everybody's familiar, it's a free tool, you have access to it, it's real time, it gives you back information, and you're able to get down to consumer audience, you can understand the behaviors, you can understand where they're, um, their whole funnel through your purchase journey, as long as you set it up. And then Google Trends, one of the simple free tools that I always like to go to just in case I'm looking at specific things. For example, a big topic is data science. How does data science compare to AI? The trend is that AI is probably four or five times more um, and in terms of the discussion pieces. So that's obviously a hotter topic when you're thinking about how do you position things. And those are the kind of quick things I do um, just to be able to fuel in information on what I'm, when I'm presenting or putting together kind of a, a pitch or even just a story about a, a consumer journey or a path to purchase. And then the thing I um, think about is just the stages of where you are on your um, data-driven marketing. So stage one is just looking at marketing data, obviously fast failure. Stage two, this is where you're looking at sales and other data. And then it's, again, it's gonna be, it's not bad, but you wanna start to build in a lot more because everyone knows that, hey, if I really looked at all like three or four different things. You've got data from finance, fulfillment and services, marketing, sales. You're gonna be able to get to something that's more me measurable. And then finally, when I had explained the consumer journey, the customer lifetime value is so important. And that's the thing that everyone's looking at because no longer is a consumer just working through a normal path to purchase or a consumer journey, I like to call them. It's going through digitally a very different way. Each consumer is more personalized. And so really calculating that customer lifetime value comes from multiple pieces of information and data. So the case study I wanted to share with everyone, um, and we've done multiple, so we've done 25 in the last year, um, and obviously we're working on current ones right now, but this particular um, beverage brand, global beverage brand, over a billion dollars, um, has a data science team, but really wanted to talk through, hey, what are their, um, are there other things that we're missing out on or how should we provide um, information. So we just talked about the top five brand and, you know, the fact that it wanted to understand the interaction with consumption and how we could impact it. So that again, it's just the sales on the brand. And we were looking at a research piece and this data set was 16,000 rows and 160 columns. So obviously not something you want to mine in Excel. And so we're putting it into tools like Python and Jupyter notebooks, and you're going to run regression analysis, and you're going to run some other correlations as well. So in particular, we know that they're already at a defined stage. So there's a, an awareness of data science within the culture, and they really wanted to get to integrated and moving forward with um, their capabilities. So we looked at prioritizing their marketing metrics that drive sales. Um, and so the problem was really, hey, we have all these metrics and there's you know unlimited ones, but we don't know what to tell our sales team to focus on. And so we looked at specific things. So top of mind awareness, spontaneous awareness, their brand, brand affinity, past four week usage, past 12 week trial, and then the brand um, love. And then what we noticed was because of all these things, we compared it to not only themselves, but also to other metrics to figure out which ones are the top ones. And really what we prioritized was top of mind awareness and past, week, past 12 week trial. And just kind of in summary, what does that mean? When you have as a marketer are trying to make, make sense out of things that are all this information and it's given to you in a research piece, the best thing to do is take a look at, is there a relationship between the data sets? And this is typically um, something that you would get out of a research house, but now is something that teams can do themselves quite quickly using what I had mentioned, Python and Jupyter Notebooks and your data science team. And so a lot of stuff that we do is around getting these results really quickly. So we work actually in um, these four week sprints. The outcome of being a lot more specific, instead of having multiple things or saying, hey, we just wanna increase brand market share, which is normally what you would set as a metric on a brand plan. We really said top of mind awareness, past 12 week usage, and then this whole concept of can love 
would then be the priorities and making sure that there was movement on those. And then the, the concept was against competitors. Hey, who was the, who were the competitors winning with? It happened to be millennials. So because of this leaking group, it was to identify these and look at the segments within the, the data, split it all up and figure out which ones are the leaking group with the millennials to identify what you should do with them. And a lot of it was just on the fact that they weren't trying the brand because they didn't really think that the brand was for them or that it was a new and innovative brand. So a lot of that is on the messaging and the advertising. And then finally, identified that breakthrough advertising versus frequency alone will improve top of mind. So the concept here is that if you're doing a campaign, you might just be doing frequency or you might be doing an actual campaign that you just want to build awareness. Um, using the data that we had, we identified that both um, frequency and, and the breakthrough would improve top of mind. And it goes back to the fact that I mentioned the millennials weren't really interested in the advertising, so they really need to ramp up that kind of breakthrough concept and idea because the competitors in the category were doing things that were a lot more exciting. And we were able to identify through the data what sort of things would help with that as well. And so the other thing too that comes out of this is you start to improve your brand tracking. So if you think about how you're looking at information, normally it's in Excel and a Fortune 500 and you're looking at so many Excel spreadsheets. Um, and so far, everyone's moving to Tableau or Power BI, but the power that you get from doing a monthly dashboard and tracking on these metrics makes you more aware of what you're doing. And I think we all know that, but it enables both sales and marketing to make better decisions because these tracking measures it's usually were kind of top line discussed as consumption and dollar share competitors versus you know, the brands. And now you're looking at serious metrics that are used and tracked on a monthly basis with your marketing research team. Um, and then, of course, you're using um, these multiple levels to then put things into advertising because digital marketing and digital ads are going to be easy to test. And you're able to see if you're actually making a change or a momentum. And in, in this particular element, you're able to kind of pull them quickly and then look at that data and make different decisions. So summary, um, um, just to kind of conclude and kind of get into questions. So dust off old research first by breaking down the data silos. So look for untapped data on the consumer journey, use data science tools, and obviously requires data scientists to look at your data in different ways, and then use models to think about data in different ways as well. And so when I think about what's next, um, the last thing I'd leave everyone with, if you haven't picked up the most recent um, copy of Harvard Business Review, I am a Harvard Business alum, but this article actually came in the July, August um, publication and it talks about AI. So AI powered marketing strategies. And then it talks about, you know, what's more advanced versus less advanced. And really, I think if you think about all the things that are happening right now, so kind of moving from less advanced to more advanced, you'd want to start to plan out what you should be doing and what you should be testing. And that's what Fortune 500 companies are doing right now. So thank you very much, um, everyone. I'm opening it up to questions. I know that was a lot of content to cover, but Olivier, I will um, pass it back to you. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. What a fantastic zoom through your experience and knowledge. Um, everyone on the call, uh, this is now our time for questions and answers. Uh, I remind everyone that the call is recorded. So if you have any questions, uh, you've got basically two ways of doing so. Either you can raise your hand and uh, join us on screen and ask the question directly to Sharon. If for some reason you prefer not to come on screen, that's completely fine. You can also ask your question on a chat and I will be happy to uh, convey them to Sharon and to all of us here. I'm gonna give everyone a minute or so to get their head together and, uh, and, and start thinking about your questions. But Sharon, I, I wanted to, to pick up one of the things that you talked about. And you talked about, you know, the, that fact that data transformation is really something that happens across the whole organization. And in, in Fortune 500, I was, I was curious in your experience uh, I presume that you know th those things are led by the data office, the the, the CDO, the, the the VP in charge, or the, or, or their team. But could you tell us a little bit about whether there are specifically uh, there are typically uh, allies to that data office and 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 people who are a little bit more reluctant to that kind of sharing and uh, and making data available for that purpose for people who need it across the organization. Yeah, so I'll kind of talk through, I actually wrote an article recently, Olivier, on 
I'm giving examples on what is happening at Fortune 500 across industries. So I might share that with you because I think it would be great for um, everyone on the call to see what's going on. So the last year and a half, um, I'd say, I think everything's accelerated in terms of wanting to share the information. I tell you in practice, and especially since I've been working in it um, in the last year and a half, it's people are reluctant to ask other data partners. Uh, so marketing doesn't want to ask sales for information or sales will say, well, the e-commerce team leads that. It's going to be difficult for me to get it. And so I think the next few years are really going to push and those companies um, that do break down those silos are going to be at a more competitive advantage. So I think the trend for um, transparency on, from in, on information comes from the top. And I think um, any great uh, CEO or leader who sees the power of data, um, funny enough, I was on a call yesterday where they had, um, it was for Mercedes-Benz um, at the global office, and they were talking about transformation and digital and the, the future of mobility. And you could tell that their need and desire to accelerate data to be used for everything is extremely important. And I know most companies, um, and I know uh, actually every company has put data or data privacy, data security protection and, and transparency as one of their pillars. But you, as we all know, um, and we've worked in large and small companies, it takes a long time to adopt that as culture. And so the data culture is gonna, is gonna need to accelerate. And being a founder um, in New York, we, we operate at a different speed. And then I worked, I work, 10 times faster than I ever did in a Fortune 500 and I worked in many. And so it's funny to see that now, Olivier. So I think what we're going to see now more than ever is, is companies that have a vision and mission aligned to a great culture are going to feel like they're breaking down transparency and that's going to help um, move it forward. So that's a great question. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I see uh, Lisa on the call with a hand up. Lisa, would you like to ask a question? Wow is my first thing. That is a lot of information that you managed to get across really quickly. And I, I'm hoping that my question um, is relative and that you, I ha you, haven't, you haven't, didn't cover it in that um, piece of information. In my opinion, to really leverage data science and to really drive the benefits, you do need to start to tackle those foundational activities of knowing where your data is. What's the quality of it? What's the consistency of it? I'm curious if you have a magic wand that could we could talk about that sort of how you can get the parallel activities of why you're improving your capability around your data understanding and consistency. You can start to introduce these really great aspirational ideas about the art of the possible. And that's what I sometimes feel with the ability of data science. It's going, you thought you could just do this, but actually we could give you that dashboard and that insight. But when you're in that naive or the beginning stage, I can't remember what you called it on your um, crawl, walk, run box. Yeah. When you're there, there's so many things that you need to sort of get out of the starting block at, at one time. Yeah, no, Lisa, that's, a, I love that you brought it out because it kind of grounds us in where do you start, right? So, and um, I work with various companies at various levels and, you know, we're, we're currently working on a project now where it's really around just being able to unlock new growth insights because they're not ready actually for the data science um, complications of potentially building out tools, etc. So, to your point, Lisa, I think the first thing is around the data architecture, the data schema, and having engineering teams talking to data scientists. And there are various types of data scientists. And I was mentioning this before, right now, because it's such a new profession, data scientists are going in and they're not sure how to work with the rest of the company. So you're putting in data scientists into either functions or you're creating a hub. And a lot of research has been done on the fact that the both the hub and the spoke model are the most effective ways. So a place where data scientists can go back as part of a data science hub, and then they are going out into the function to be able to help that function operate properly. Um, 
I think that the, the, the bigger question that you're asking is around leadership, right? And if we think about the tech companies who have started with data, they're probably the places where I would be telling folks to go first to be able to see where it all began. And, and unfortunately, it usually starts because they created all of the schemas, architecture, et cetera, based on we need this information because it's going to be part of our business model. And when you have to go back and rewind, and a lot of that we've seen is just digital transformation and moving to the cloud, it's, it's tough. But everybody's doing it at this stage, which means it's not as if it's new. Um, many companies work on this. So obviously, um, IBM companies that we partner with as well. Um, and then Prolifix is another one, Art Virtusa. They're all doing digital transformation and working with, here's what the whole architecture should look like. And then there's makeshift things you can do in the short term, which is not necessarily the best um, approach, but my philosophy is always test and fail fast. So before you make any drastic changes or say, hey, let's not do anything within the context of data science to mine the information to get better insights, I'd still say test things because they need to learn. And uh, the only way for your data science and engineers to start working together and learning and especially with functions such as marketing or sales is to actually go out and start trying these things. And so um, a big thing that I think helped accelerate that was just all the models that had to be built for COVID, right? So that was something everybody said, hey, we have to do it. So let's start working closely together. So there's no magic wand, Lisa, I wish, but um, there are many tools that help make things easier. And I think if I look at the last year and a half for the companies that made the biggest impact in short amount of time. It was starting with one particular area and one particular data set, and then saying, let's, how do we make this more efficient to be smarter with the insights we want? And it was taking it into data visualization like Tableau. And so it was taking a, you know, a consumption or sales dashboard that they currently have that everybody's used to seeing and not even ripping it apart, but saying, passing it over to a data science team saying, hey, this is what we want to get out of this. What can you do with them? Giving them a bit of freedom to do it. So, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but we have a large data science team and I trust them when we're coming up and give them the freedom to come up with ideas and see what they, they do say so that it gives them the opportunity to learn and fail as well. So I know that's not a um, go do this. But I wish I had that answer. So disappointed. I know. I know. Um, each per, like I tell you that each uh, each person and client and, and company we work with is different and at, at different stages. And you'd be surprised that you know we worked with a a large company, a global company that was just starting to build out their data science team in a, in a, one of their largest regions, and they were just hiring at the beginning of this year. And this is a company you would never think that has, you would have said, oh yeah, they're far advanced. And just, you know, companies are still learning and hence the reason I, we're doing the work that we do. But, you know, everyone, it's, there is no, it's like, I, I relate it back to when um, digital transformation was happening. I feel like it was 15 years ago, but it could have been even two decades ago. And <clears throat> we just didn't know where to start. So everybody started building a website. So that's essentially what we have to do is really build out, hey, what, what do we want? What information can we get to grow our business? And the best thing for you is to be able to find, you need to be able to show value before people are going to adopt. And that's a very hard thing and difficult task for a lot of people. But if you can show the value through the information that you're providing, but happy to talk to you offline about that as well, Lisa, in more detail. I will definitely send you um, a contact request through LinkedIn, but is it possible for me to ask a part two question or do you have no, so it, I, I loved your analogy of like looking at the, the data businesses. So the businesses that have, have basically come out of the whatever, I don't want to say ashes, but they came out being data companies. So we think of the Amazons, the Googles, the Alphabets, Apples, all of that. They are, to me, data businesses. The thing that I'm finding quite interesting with where I am at the moment is the established businesses that are now that tanker in the ocean that are trying to become data businesses. And that's, I think, where my question is coming from, is how you turn, like, these organisations that have probably grown through merger and acquisition 
they didn't do any integration. So you don't just have functional silos, you have brand silos or this. It's, it's that scary, massive universe of complexity that to try and find the little bit that gives the value, that gives the aspiration. That that's sort of, I suppose that's where I'm looking for that holy grail answer. And if anybody on, on this call has the holy grail answer, I would be very interested. <laughs> I find that the, the, the easiest way to start with that is using teams that have done this time and time again, with digital transformation. Um, and so they're comfortable going in and doing a data roadmap and spending the time to say, okay, this is what it looks like. It all starts with the data roadmap. So that's what I, I didn't mention that. And that is where you're going to start right from architecture and go through. And you can, those are usually four hour workshops, Lisa, where you're sitting with your data scientists, your engineers, uh, someone who's a consultant to go through. We do that work as well with a great partner of ours. And we just dig into what needs to be done from start to finish. And it's a discussion. And then it goes into, you know, all the elements that aren't, they're not, for me, Lisa, as well, they're not as scary as they used to be because used to think of it as this big Goliath. So many people and companies have done this now that it's not a new task to do. So it might seem daunting, but if you have the right partner coming in and working on it, it's it's not. And I'm happy to um, help facilitate that with you. So, yeah. I, does that help as well? Absolutely. Um, you've given me a few more terms to go and Google and make sure I understand <laughs> them properly. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you very much, Lisa. <clears throat> any other question for Sharon? I don't think I see anything in the chat. Going to give everyone a, a few moments to get a hand up or to get on screen. Okay, if not, I'm going to uh, I'm going to sneak in my second question. Uh, you're you're giving me pl plenty of chances to ask questions. That's great. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, so my, my my second question, Sharon, is um, I found really quite interesting that you showed. I can't remember fairly early on in your in your, in your talk. You talked you talk, you showed you showed us a number of approaches. Uh, number of solutions that that Fortune 500 can take and, and can look at. And for me, what was really quite interesting it was it was a mix of you know quite hard data science analysis and so on and so forth. But quite a lot of it was just knowing what the business wants and then linking that to um, to to the data practice. And and that leads me to a question about what in your experience in those fairly large organizations do you think is the um, the, the the most pressing skill that is missing not data science because well that that is that is a given that is something that we we know is needed but kind of what what is the second one what is the what is the skill that you'd like your your clients and partners to have more of so i think the big thing that i've noticed talking across functions is the ability to translate what data can do and then and make it actionable so i'll give you an example um, I was just speaking with somebody who works at a large um, restaurant chain um, and has had previous work, though, in the consumer packaged goods industry. So two solid areas. And they are a data scientist and have been for five years. So the goal was to explain what they do in data science so that we could have a dialogue around what needs to be done in the future. And so... Olivier, what you'd find is a lot of people don't know how to explain it. And so I always look at the, the things that we're trying to do right now with information is it's the, the it's a trifecta. It's the intersection between, um, I call it data science, um, then it's the, the concept of technology, and then it's which technology can be anything from the, the tools that you use, so Python, Jupyter Notebooks, um, to the amount of processing that you're doing, et cetera, and then math and statistics, right? And so um, when, when you think about that, the math and statistics has always been used. So that's nothing new. But the amount of math and statistics was needed was very different, you know, 20 years ago than what is needed now because of the amount of information. And as I mentioned, the amount of data that we have. 
So I think if everyone thinks about the, this concept of what is happening now is really just around, and I, and sorry, I should, should have said strategy. So the data science component is around pulling it together. So strategy, and that's what's missing right now. We call it the unicorn. So a lot of people don't know how to take the strategic lens and put it on the math and statistics and then what tools to use. And that is the hardest thing because the data scientists, when they come on board, Olivier, they're they get a data set, and I'm going to tell you, if anyone has ever worked with a lot of data scientists, the, the 80% of the job is cleaning and, and processing data. And you never get a data set that you're happy with, other than when you're in school. And I hear it all the time, and I get the question like, well, does this come with, do you have this in an, an Excel or a CSV? And I'm like, this is the data set we got from the client. This is all we're going to get. So really getting through the problem solving of hey, you're going to deal with a lot of ambiguous situations. The more you deal with it now, the better equipped you're going to be later. And it's just, it's it's lacking right now. So we probably need a good five to 10 years. Olivier, if you think about marketing, how long we've been around as marketing and salespeople, that's what we need within the realm of data science to get it to where, you know, I'm, I think it'll be another 10 to 20 years. And we see that in, I always go back to digital transformation and it's taken us this long to feel like people are, are wizards at it, right? And we all tested out 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, making a website, A-B testing and all those things. So that's going to be the next, um, those are going to tell our team that you guys are going to be the next leaders um, and you need to be a data science leader, but you need to be an overall general manager of data as well and communicate it well. So I look forward to seeing the next sort of, 10 to 15 years of who's going to be leaders within this space. So, because I think the tech companies have led it and now every company, uh, I, I'll give a point and this is, I think in their annual review, I mean, even look at companies like um, companies like PepsiCo who say they want to be, they're no longer a beverage company. They're more of a technology company and the ecosystems that companies are building are there because they want to transform their businesses. This was to your point. Lisa as well. So this concept of an ecosystem that Apple and et cetera have built, other companies are looking at how do they build a community? How do they build an ecosystem around the information that they have and, and transform it? So I know I'm doing long answers because Olivier, we have time. <laughs> so that was a great answer. Thank you very much, Sharon. I saw a hand up, but it's gone back down. So I'm going to look at the chat where I see a couple of questions. So I'm going to start with the with the first one on my list. And it is from Kay who asks, what learning do you think that smaller companies can take from the data experience of Fortune 500 companies? How could they apply this? Great question. Thank you. Sharon? Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess it goes back to the fundamentals. And um, one other thing, in the last year, our team in New York City, I think everybody know the impact that was um, hit in New York and some of the larger cities around the world. We did, we actually took digital transformation and data transformation and we brought it to small companies. So small businesses in New York, we consulted pro bono and we helped them through the last year. And so what we brought was the first thing I always start with is Google Analytics. And I think that a lot of companies just don't use it enough and they're scared to get in there because they've never gone and setting it up is not easy. Everything you think should be super easy, but you've got to set it up. And then when you do have it set it up, it's a, a data landmine. And so even though the, and the to do the tutorials, et cetera, can be frustrating. Um, so, and, and just so everyone knows, if you want to do a Google analytics certification, it's two solid days, we get our entire team to do it. And then we actually have, you have to go and consult for two to five companies during, um, we do an internship with data scientists. And what I'd say is the, um, if, if you're looking from a fortune 500 standpoint, they have so much information. So a small business is actually better because you don't have as much data. And it's, it's really organizing your data in a way that's going to be as useful as possible and simple tools. So everybody should start with some sort of database. For small businesses, I recommend Airtable um, as a really great place to start um, organizing and simplifying. And then I had mentioned Tableau or Power BI just as examples. And there's some sort of free versions that are available that you can start to plug in your information and then visualize it. And I think that's that's the best thing from a starting point. Um, and then other things that I'd learned 
just working at Fortune 500 is be creative with the team that you have as well. So bring in folks that aren't really focused on the data to talk about it and talk about your business. Because more than ever, you shouldn't be thinking of a problem you're trying to solve all the time. You should be like, what is it that we could be solving for? Or what are we missing? And I mentioned that on the Jahari window example. And so we're stuck in our own thinking and businesses are usually stuck in their own thinking. So just having an outside perspective to look at the business is a really good way of uh, doing it. And I think the other thing we, we talked about was you know, understanding your consumer is the most important thing. It's always used in Fortune 500. Um, GlaxoSmithKline was always about patient first. And, uh, and, you know, I'd say that any of the large CPG consumer packaged goods brands like Mondelez, Unilever, PepsiCo, um, they would all say that it's about the consumer. And so we talk a lot about tools. And I mentioned the consumer journey, but thinking about putting yourself into the shoes of your consumer and figuring out how they purchase and what they like doing and then looking at what data you can find. And again, you can get that from Google Analytics. But you can also see all the elements of, you know, even sending out a survey to your consumers that are the most loyal. We send out um, a lot of surveys as well for this particular one company we were working with. Um, we created a survey and we got information back on what they it was a home organization company in particular in L.A. and New York. And we, you know, we actually sent out a survey to find out what it was in these specific areas. Well, through the data, we were able to see New York. It's about organizing the entire apartment because they're usually smaller in LA, it's around the garage and the kitchen. And so we were able to do ads that are very targeted, right? So you start to look at um, the, you know, all large companies would sort of put a blanket approach to their advertising or their, their methodology for marketing or going after their consumers. Regional differences across the world are really, really important. Um, another retail coffee chain in Canada called the Second Cup, we were mining their data and we were looking at it across um, the, uh, off the, uh, the whole Canadian market and it was coming out of the pandemic and they didn't know what to do to improve sales and get folks back into the stores into the retail stores. Right. And so that we did front learn from their data. People really missed coffee chats. People wanted to get together, but you couldn't. And so what could you do? They had a lot of um, money on their gift cards or their um, loyalty card. And so we, the recommendation really through mining the data was that, hey, you could buy a coffee for someone else and send it to them virtually. And it would give you that same kind of idea of, of having a coffee with someone, or you could go to your place, pick it up and drop it off. And so there was a whole campaign around how do you, how would you bring back the coffee chat without actually having it in person? Um, and, and in addition, it was looking at, you know, regional differences in um, consumption behavior. So the East Coast is really just wants a black coffee. They're time constrained. Um, and they just want to get in and out. On the West Coast, they want a specialty coffee, like a latte or a cappuccino in, in particular in Canada. So it was very much looking at those regional differences. And I think small businesses or medium-sized businesses can start with those sort of things and really come up with smart campaigns that are still cost efficient. So those are kind of the learnings we had for the last year when we were working with companies. Thank you very much, Sharon. Um, I think we've got time for one more question. And the last one I've got on the chat is slightly different. Uh, and I believe it's from Jan who asks, Sharon, can you tell us what you think about the open science nature of AI? Any thought on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, and, and was there anything in specific or was it just kind of a broad, I don't know, I think that was, I, okay. okay, tell us. I, I think, uh, oh, there you uh, go, Yannis coming up on screen. Hi, uh, Anne. Hi, hi, Sharon. Uh, yeah, just very broad uh, kind of sense of open data or augmented or AGI uh, type of future of the AI. Yeah, so of course. So this kind of goes, and I appreciate your question. I love talking about the vision and trends of data. Um, I believe that one of the things that we have to get our minds around is you know, that data should be available for everyone. And I understand that. I think folks are looking at how to monetize and create a currency within the concept of data. And, and even when I think about AI, I always think there has to be a human approach and that you have to have humans involved because as we know, some perfect examples, I've been reading a book called The Competing in the Age of AI. And Yana, I really recommend reading that book. So it talks about, you know, what's going on with the companies that are working on AI, the toolkit that you can use if you're moving to AI. And again, 
AI is you're in the advanced transformative stages of data transformation. So Lisa, this is on the far right-hand side of the continuum, the crawl, walk, run. Um, personally, I think that the, the concept of data as being monetized more in companies and it being becoming, and I know it's been talked about as the new oil um, in multiple magazines in the past. Um, I don't think it can translate exactly to oil because it's not a physical product, but I do think that the value which, which you can get out of data will come around now to the censoring and the filtering of data. So right now we have so much that companies that are going to be extremely successful in the future are the ones that can aggregate, assimilate, um, reduce, and just be able to mine that information and make it simple. Um, I think that AI will take and, and change over the dynamics of work, right? We've seen the whole change and shift with regard to what you can do with information and data at a faster pace but you always have to have a human looking over things. And there were a couple of things written in the competing of the age of AI, which are examples, which talk about the bias. Um, and again, we've talked about ethnic bias within data, because if you have specific people running models, whether that's, um, you know, very specific ethnicities, then you're going to miss out on the other ethnicities because you're not really and even image profiling and things like that. And so and so computer vision would be another area where the it, we're just not going to have enough time right now um, with the amount of information that's been mined or, you know, the amount of work that's been done to say that it's accurate. And so we're always looking in, and there's always the funny anecdotes, right, with Alexa, um, who has made funny connotations when you're asking for something because it's always learning. And the only thing I'd say, it's amazing to see the progress of what has transformed. Um, but I think it's, it's the, it is the future. We're here already. Um, it isn't something that we should be afraid of. I'd say that it, it, a lot of times, even myself, so included was how do I accelerate my learning in this area? Because there's so much to cover. Um, but it's, you know, there are a lot of um, ways to get information in very simple ways. And, and hence the reason I mentioned the Harvard Business Review, the most recent articles on artificial intelligence in business. So I highly recommend reading that one. Um, and so I, I think we're, it's already here. And I don't feel um, that it'll make things in the future to be any I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want anyone to be fearful about artificial intelligence and open data or open science. I think that we should all be embracing it and figuring out a way of how to capitalize on it in our businesses and in our lives because there's so much information. Now, how we're going to protect all that data, et cetera, I think we had a different discussion that I attended on Lunch and Learn where we were talking about data security and privacy around health. And uh, that's still a big question. So I hope that helps answer your question, Jan. I think that was an excellent answer, Sharon. Thank you thank very you, much. My thanks. Thank you, thank, thank you, Jan, for asking the question. Um, we're getting to the to the end of our hour, and I think this is a really, really great way to to open up the the, the uh, into the into the future, into the big trends, and into uh, what to look forward to. So I think I'm going to move to wrap up our session today and thank everyone who joined. Uh, thank everyone who's watching this. Uh, 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 and watch the recording. And, and of course, thank you, Sharon, for joining us today and, and sharing your, your experience. Uh, as I said at the beginning, this is the last session uh, before we go on a, on a summer hiatus. So we'll see you all in the autumn. Thank you. Thanks, Olivier. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate the questions. Goodbye. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.